Let's pray and ask God to speak to us through the word. What a rich time of worship we've had. We love loving you and adoring you and exalting you and delighting in you. And you're true. You're near through Christ. You are compassionate because of what Jesus has done. Thank you that we can turn to you no matter what state our hearts are in and you will always help us and meet us and comfort us and forgive us and guide us. We love your compassion and your mercy in Christ. And Lord, I pray for your help now. This is a sensitive topic we're talking about. I would guess some wives here feel pain about this topic. I would guess there's some heartache, husbands, Lord, regret over past actions. Lord, we're all here at the foot of the cross together. We want to hear your word. We want to see your mercy. We want to learn from you. And so I pray for your help. Give me the right heart to speak these words. And would you come and encourage and strengthen and meet each of us now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now, some passages in the Bible are more controversial than others. Have you noticed that? And this passage in 1 Peter chapter 3 is one of the more controversial passages because in this passage, Peter calls wives to submit to their husbands. And this is controversial, especially in this day and age, because lots of people, when they picture wives submitting to their husbands, the picture that they see is of these arrogant, abusive husbands shouting out orders that they want their wives to fulfill, and these wives feeling inferior, cowering, obeying the husband's orders, which is a very negative picture and is not at all the picture that God has in his word. I was really helped a couple years ago. A pastor gave me an entirely different way to picture what it would look like for a wife to submit to her husband. See if this helps you like it helped me. He said, picture a man and a woman doing ballroom dancing. And they're really good. Okay, really phenomenal ballroom dancing. Now, the man and the woman have different roles in ballroom dancing. Any of you done ballroom dancing? Okay. Very few. All right. Me neither. But the man and the woman have very different roles in ballroom dancing. The man's role is to initiate, to take the lead, to direct the steps. Right? The woman's role is different than the man's role. The woman's role is to follow his lead, to be responsive to his initiative, to follow the steps that he's directing. So very different roles. Now, in the ballroom dancing, is the man feeling arrogant and superior and the woman feeling abused and inferior? No, not at all. Very different roles, but they are equally involved in the dance. They are equally vital and important to the dance. They have equal joy in the dance, even though they have very different roles. And the result is harmony, beauty, joy, and freedom. As the man leads and as the woman submits to his lead. Very different picture 
of what it means for a wife to submit to a husband. And that, I hope to show you from this passage, is the picture that Peter has in mind as he calls wives to submit to their husbands. Let's look at what he says. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7. through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, and that's Peter's language for they're not saved yet, so that even if some husbands do not obey the word, aren't saved yet, they may be one, saved, without a word, by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Powerful passage. Now, some of you are single. You're thinking, what does that have to do with me? Well, let me tell you two ways how this could be important to you. One is if you're moving towards marriage and planning for, hoping for marriage, this will help you understand what you're getting into, all right? And if you're not called to marriage, this is still crucial for you to understand so that you can be a good encouragement and counsel to the brothers and sisters around you who are married. So all of us need to hear this passage this morning. Now in verse 1, Peter calls wives to be subject to their husbands. What does that mean? What would it mean for a wife to be subject to her husband? And I noticed as I studied this passage that in verses 5 and 6, Peter gives Sarah as an illustration of what it means to submit to your husband, because Sarah submitted to Abraham. So read verses 5 and 6 and see what Peter says about how Sarah did that. Verse 5, this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now that sounds shocking because... Most of us, when we think about calling somebody Lord, we're thinking about calling Jesus Lord, right? Which is exactly what we're supposed to do. But to understand what's going on here, in Genesis 18, Sarah does call Abraham Lord, but the word that she uses there in the Hebrew is a word that has a very broad range of meaning, but it can mean simply recognizing that someone has a position of leadership. So as Sarah calls Abraham Lord, she simply is recognizing his God-given position of leadership in the marriage. And so an aspect of submission means wives recognize that your husband has a God-given position of leadership in the marriage. Just like we read from Ephesians chapter 5 earlier this morning, God has placed 
man in that position. So an aspect of being subject is to recognize your husband's role of leadership. Notice also that Peter mentions that Sarah obeyed Abraham. Now, Abraham and Sarah, let's say, for example, that there's some decision that has to be made, and they have different opinions. Well, what that would mean would be that Abraham would have the burden, and it is a burden, of making the final decision, and Sarah would have the responsibility of, after she shares her opinions, shares her thoughts, but saying to Abraham, Hun, whatever you think is best, I will gladly follow your lead. That's what submission means. Recognizing that God has placed the husband in a position of authority, leadership, and gladly following his lead. That's what God calls wives to do in this passage. Now let's also notice from this passage what it does not mean for a wife to be subject to her husband. Very important because there are some misconceptions and some stereotypes that we want to dispel here. First of all, for the wife to be subject to her husband does not mean that the wife is inferior to her husband. Two reasons I say this. One is, notice in this passage, Peter's envisioning a situation where the wife is believing and the husband is not believing. Now, no offense to any husbands here who might not yet be believing. We love you. We're glad you're here. But by God's grace, your wife has more spiritual wisdom and knowledge than you do if she's believing and you're not yet believing. That's just the reality of it. Okay? The Lord will save you. He loves you. He will save you right now if you call out to him in Jesus' name. But the reality is that when it comes to spiritual things in this scenario, the wife is superior to the husband in terms of spiritual wisdom, spiritual knowledge. And yet she's called to submit to her unbelieving husband who is inferior to her in those areas. Do you see how important this is? So wives are not called to submit to their husbands because women are inferior to men. Not at all. Another reason is that in verse 7, Peter notes that wives are equal heirs with their husbands of the grace of life. So the Bible teaches two crucial truths. Men and women are absolutely equal before God. Equally gifted, equally wise, equally smart. I mean, there's variations between individuals, but generally speaking, as men and as women, equal. And yet, for reasons that only God knows, he's called men to a position of leadership, and he calls women to follow the husband's leadership. So we're asking the question, what does it mean for a wife to submit to her husband? And it means recognizing that God has called him to a position of leadership, and it means gladly, willingly following his leadership. Now, Peter says in this passage that when when a wife submits to her husband, wonderful things can happen. And he mentions one of the wonderful things that could happen. What might happen? When a wife is subject to her unbelieving husband. Read verses 1 and 2 again. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So when an unbelieving husband sees his believing wife Gladly following his lead, willingly following his lead, he could be brought to faith. Now, why is that? It's because he sees your respectful and pure conduct. That willing, glad submission 
is shows such respect and is so pure that it will show your unbelieving husband that your faith is real, your faith is powerful, God is real, God is satisfying your heart, God is securing you for your future, you can trust him, and God's reality in Christ will be displayed to your unbelieving husband when you respond in that way. So try to think of an example. Let's say that back in the Greco-Roman time, believing wife, unbelieving husband, and they're discussing where to go on vacation, say, for example. And maybe the wife really would love to go to the Mediterranean coast. She loves the beach, that whole thing going on. Husband really loves the mountains, you know, getting out there in the rugged mountains. And so she's sharing with him the reasons that she thinks the beach would be a wonderful place to go. And, and he's listening, and, and he shares the reasons he thinks the mountains would be the place to go. And, and then she says to him, but you know, hon, whatever you think is best, I'll gladly go. Now, he knows how much she loves the Mediterranean coast. He knows she doesn't really care for the mountains, you know, mosquitoes, bugs, all that kind of stuff. He knows that. But as he hears her say, hon, Whatever you think is best, I will follow your lead. That is a beautiful display of respect and purity that can lead him to faith. No guarantee, but it can. Let me tell you the story about a man. He's part of our church. This is years ago. Unbelieving man. His wife was part of the church. He was not. But he had lots of questions about spiritual things. And so we started to have coffee when, every Tuesday afternoon. And he had questions about Why do you believe the Bible is true? Why do you think Jesus is fully God? Why do you believe in the resurrection? And we met together and and talked about these questions and and answered his questions, showed him all the evidence. I mean, the evidence for the Bible's truth and for Jesus as God and for his resurrection of the dead, just massive amounts of evidence. And, And finally, I'll never forget this. He was a very stubborn man. One afternoon, he looked me in the eye and he said, Steve, you just don't get it. I don't want to believe. You're answering all my questions. You've got overwhelming evidence. I have no objection to your evidence. I just don't want to believe in God. Now, all through this time, his wife was submitting to him, respecting him, speaking honorably about him, following his lead gladly and willingly. That's what she was doing. Two years ago, he came to faith. And I am sure that part of that was the example of his wife over those years gladly submitting to him. Now, let me point out one other thing. It it does not mean for the wife to submit to her husband. I meant to mention this earlier. This is very important. From this passage, we can see that it does not mean wives following your husband into sin. There are lines that are drawn here. And the reason I say that, it's clear from this passage, in the Greco-Roman culture, a wife would always adopt her husband's religion. Always. You married a man, always adopt his religion. So in this case, here's two unbelieving. Here's an unbelieving couple, husband and wife. The wife ends up coming to faith after they've been married. Everyone would expect her to adopt his religion. Is Peter saying here that she should adopt his religion? Not at all. He says, he will be one to to your faith as you submit to him. So, for example, if the husband said one morning, you know, hon, I'd like you to join me as we go and worship the goddess Artemis at the temple this morning. What should the wife do? According to this passage, she should say, I love you. God has put you as the leader of, of this marriage. I wish I could follow your lead, but I cannot. You know I cannot. Because my Lord above you is Jesus Christ. So I'm sorry, I cannot go with you. 
That's what the wife should say in the situation. Humbly, gently, respectfully, firmly. Are we clear? So quiz time. Wives, if your husband leads you into sin, what should you say? Yes or no? No. Humbly, gently. Were there some other answers there? Okay, I thought I heard that. Not a lot of confidence, though. What you should say is, no. I, I wish I could, because God's called you as lead, but I can't disobey God. Okay? So let's be really clear on that. Very important point. All right. Now, that brings us to verse 3 in this passage. And when you first read verse 3, it sounds like Peter's launching off into an entirely different topic. Let me show you what I mean. Start with verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external. Why is he talking about adorning? Where did that topic come from? Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. Sounds like a brand new topic until you read verses 4 and 5. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. How did they adorn themselves? By submitting to their own husbands. So what Peter wants to go into next is, what kind of adornment is the most important? And the answer is, not braided hair, not gold jewelry, not fancy clothes. The most important adornment is a gentle and quiet spirit that expresses submission towards the husband. Now, why is this adornment the most important? Two reasons Peter gives. Notice, first of all, that word imperishable. This is an imperishable beauty, right there in verse 4. Underline the word imperishable. You saw that word when Pastor Matt preached back in chapter 1 about the inheritance, which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Imperishable means it's always going to be there. It will never fade. It will never diminish. It will be there forever. And I don't understand how this all works, but as you nurture a gentle and quiet spirit of submission, glad, willing followership of your husband, as you nurture that in your heart, as you adorn yourself with that, that is going to give you women, you wives, a beauty that will be yours forever. That is a thousand years from today, we'll be able to look at you and say, whoa, beautiful. Because in this life, you've adorned yourself with this imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit of submission to your husbands. That's one reason. That's the most important. Second reason is because, as Peter says, in God's sight, that is very precious. In God's sight, it's very precious. In other words, when God looks down from heaven and he sees you nurturing and praying for and seeking to walk in a gentle and a quiet spirit of willing, glad submission to your husband for Christ's sake, when he sees that, he says, oh, that's beautiful. That is precious. Look at this daughter of mine. Look at how she trusts me. This is a beautiful thing. Precious in God's sight. So that's the adornment that's most important. Okay, so what Peter's calling wives to do in this passage, nurture a gentle and quiet spirit, which means willing submission to your husband's lead. Now, from talking to women over the years, I know that 
that this kind of a command can stir fear in your hearts. Maybe if you're anticipating marriage, what this means is marrying a man means you're committing to follow him for the rest of your life. What if he leads me like to Abu Dhabi or someplace, right? I mean, so, or if you're already married and think, well, what if my husband makes some wrong decisions? What if he's just like foolish with our finances, right? So I would guess that every woman at some point has fear about the thought of following this man's leadership in every area except sin. I mean, I know it's except sin, but there are going to be a lot of things that aren't sin that are just, like, dumb that us husbands can do, right? Man, is this true? Man, come on. Back me up here, man. Is this true? Okay, we'll talk later, guys. All right. Men's retreat. We'll talk. Okay. So how can a wife be free from fear about what her husband might might decide? I think Peter tells us in verses 5 and 6. He says, This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. What frees you from fear is that you are hoping in God. It's not that you have hope in your husband. He will disappoint you and fail you, sadly, and to our shame as husbands. It's not because you hope in your husband. It's because you hope in God. As we've sung this morning, God is in sovereign control over what your husband does. And God will govern what your husband does in such a way that it brings you your greatest good, which is more joy in God. Let me repeat that. God will govern what your husband does. Hard things, good things, he'll govern it in order to bring you your greatest good, which is more joy in God. A few years ago, um, in America, in our church, there was a woman who got stirred up about going on a short-term missions trip to North Africa. We We were sending a team there to work with an unreached people group. And there were some risks involved in this trip, but she was just stirred up. She wanted to go. And she shared this with her husband. He couldn't go because of some health issues. But as she shared this with him, he thought about all these risks, and he said, no, I, I don't think you should go. I just don't know. I, no, you can't go. I don't want you to go. She really wanted to go. Her heart was stirred up about going. And he said, no. And so what should she do? Well, she could have, they could have fought, right? She could have argued. She could have given him the silent treatment for the next week, locked the bedroom door. She could have had him sleep on the couch, right? Okay. What did she do? She's an amazing woman. She said, hon, if you pray and think and if you feel like God doesn't want me to go, I won't go. I won't go. So he did. He prayed. And he thought. And as he prayed, he got convicted that it was his fear and lack of trust in God that was making him say no to her. And so he came and said, God's told me you're supposed to go. Let's pray that you're safe, you know. And she came home safely. Uh, It's a beautiful story. Now, women, doesn't always go that way. Okay, just full disclosure here. But the point is, hope in God. Hope 
in God. Share your wisdom with your husband gently, humbly, clearly, right? Share your thoughts. Disagree humbly, honestly, gently, clearly, boldly, right? And then say, but hun, I will follow your lead gladly. You pray, you think, I will follow your lead. Beautiful, precious in God's eyes. One last question in this passage. Men, we're not off the hook here, okay? How should husbands relate to their wives? One short verse that packs a massive punch to us men. Verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So husbands, we are called to show honor to our wives. There's two reasons that Peter gives for this. One, right there in the verse, it's because she's the weaker vessel. Now, I don't think that that means that it's because women are weaker mentally or weaker emotionally. We've just read about holy women who hope in God and aren't afraid of any fear. That's strong women, right? So I don't see this as weak emotionally, mentally, spiritually. I think Peter's just simply saying that generally speaking, women are weaker than men. Generally speaking, that's the case. That's what he's talking about here. Physically. Thank you, Jan. Yes. Generally speaking, women are weaker physically than men. Very true. So, men, you're walking out of Lulu's, okay? A lot of groceries. Carry the groceries, okay? Hello? Carry them. There's heavy lifting around the house. Help. Don't be patronizing. Don't be condescending about it. Just help her. And that honors her, okay? She's the weaker vessel. Another reason to honor her in this verse is because she is an equal heir with you of the grace of life. She's a, the New American Standard says joint heir. The Greek word is equal heir, heirs with you. The point is that you are both equal heirs. You both will inherit equally the grace of life. So picture what this means, men, husbands. Think about your wife, and the day is coming when Jesus Christ will personally honor your wife by coming to her individually, wiping every tear from her eyes, giving her the the grace of life which he purchased for her because he loved her and died for her on the cross. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is going to honor your wife by coming to her and giving her the grace of eternal life which he purchased for her on the cross. There's no greater honor in the universe than that. Receiving that blood-bought gift from the nail-pierced hands of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is going to honor her then. Men, honor her now. He will honor her then. You honor her 
now. So put her preferences before yourself. Yes, you have the position of authority and leadership. Does that mean you always choose your way? Husbands, love your wives, as was read this morning, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's our picture, husbands, of leading our wives. We are willing to die for them. So honor her by doing, pursuing her preferences. Honor her by always speaking kindly to her and gently to her. If you have spoken harsh, angry words to your wife recently, you need to repent. That is sin before God. He is displeased. Speak honorably to her. If you, if you need to disagree with her about something, correct something, do that gently, honorably, lovingly. Are you hearing me, men? This is so important. So speak honorably to her. Speak honorably about her. There are some social circles where the cool thing to do is when the guys get together, they disrespect their wives to each other. Completely wrong. Grieves the father's heart. Always speak honorably of your wife. Always. Now, why is this so important? Look at the last eight words of verse 7. So that your prayers will not be hindered. Listen, men, God loves your wife. He sent Jesus to pay for her sins and has adopted her into his family. Your wife is his daughter. His daughter. So crucial. And he has entrusted his daughter into your care. And if you don't honor her, her father is displeased with you. And your prayers will be hindered. Now, what does that mean? Here's a quote from Tom Schreiner. Can we put it up on the screen? Thank you very much. It's the the quote. Keep going. There it is. Tom Schreiner teaches New Testament at uh, Southeastern Baptist Seminary. Here's what he said in his commentary. Husbands who ignore such a command to honor their wives will find that their prayers are hindered, which means that God will refuse to answer their prayers. In other words, it's exactly what Peter says is what that means. Your prayers will be hindered. Now, men... None of us has perfectly honored our wives recently. Not one of us has. I have not. You have not. Is it all over for us? No. The cross invites us, right? Jesus says, men who've dishonored wives, come. If we will repent of our pride, of our selfishness, of our arrogance, if we'll repent before Jesus Christ and say, I'm sorry, Forgive me. Help me. He will forgive us completely. He will help us change. And our prayers will be heard. Gladly. Fully. Because we can be forgiven through the cross. So it's not all over. We can come to Jesus right now. And again. And again. And again. And again. 
And he will forgive us. He will help us. He will meet us. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you would bring your power upon all of us here right now. Powerful passage that you, by your Spirit, gave Peter to write. We all need to hear this today. I pray that you'd give grace to wives to so hope in you, Father, to so trust your sovereignty over their husband that they could be free from fear and gladly follow his lead. I pray for husbands that you would help us to honor our wives as we see that we are equal heirs with them of the grace of life. That we would see that the woman is the weaker vessel physically. That we would honor our wives. So bring your power upon us to strengthen us in this, to help us in this, so that in our marriages we can shine with the truth of Jesus Christ all the more fully. So that we'll both be blessed, husbands blessed, wives blessed, so that your name will be glorified. We pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.